Welcome to a new edition of Newton's Laws of Sports. This week's guest was so nice, you'll have a chance to listen to him twice. This is part one of my conversation with Jordan Villalone. We talk about growing up in Miami, going to Morehouse College, aka Black Harvard, transferring to LaSalle College, adapting to a new environment, and his time as a student athlete. And now to my conversation with Jordanville alone. Welcome to this week's episode of Newton's Laws of Sports. Joining me today is a very, very special guest. Probably one of the most interesting people I got to know at LaSalle. Jordanville alone. Jordan, nice to see you again. How have you been and what have you been up to during the pandemic? Chris, it's so good to see you. Um... Wonderful, wonderful friend of mine throughout the LaSalle years, and I'm, I'm excited to be on your podcast. This is incredible. Uh, to answer your question, I've been doing similar things that I was doing before the pandemic. Uh, I'm currently in graduate school, so that segment of what I've been doing hasn't changed because it was all online. So uh, plugging away at school and working remotely. That's what's up. That's what's up, man. I just got done grad school, so I know the feeling. Oh, I can't wait to get like you. Trust me. Trust me. I hear, I hear <laughs> that. All right. Now let's rewind it back. Let's start with the early days. So talk about your experience. You grew up in Miami, so talk about your ex- personal experience growing up in Miami. It's not all South Beach and tr- palm trees and beaches and all that good stuff. Can't be that good, can it? <laughs> well, the the, uh, the best part that is consistent is the food. It's consistently good food every, at every corner, full of flavor and different cultures. Uh, but no, it, it it wasn't all South Beach and, and beaches and and, and glimmering lights. Um, I think uh, Miami had uh, a wonderful impact on my life in terms of friendships and uh, values. Uh, we we hold relationships very closely down there because um, that's one of the few things that we do have that are tangible. So uh, growing up in Miami made a lot of relationships. I, I think like my some of the relationships I still hold near and dear to me are as date as far back as to middle school. Um, and elementary is just too far removed, and we changed too much. But yeah, I have friends incredible friends from uh, middle school that I still talk to today and teachers. That's awesome. Now, growing up in Miami, what, what sports did you play growing up? Well, I was born in Cuba. And when we came over to Miami, I was never a part of a formal, formal team. Um, but I played a lot of street football, uh, a game we call manhunt, which is like extreme hide and seek. Uh, oh yeah, I've, I've played that before. That's, dude, that's fun. That's so that's fun. So fun. So, yeah, we were running all over the place. Had our own set of rules. It was a lot of fun. Street football, kickball, and I I didn't really get into basketball or or any sport really, but basketball until eighth grade, heading into ninth grade. I was probably you know uh, six one, six two, eighth grader, and. You know, at that point, everyone was telling me, hey, you should play. Hey, you should play. But I, I had no interest. Um, I had no interest. I, I would say this. 
uh, in combination to my first statement with what growing up in Miami was like. One of my best friends named Anderson Reyes moved to Miami from Boston, ironically, um, in sixth grade. So in 2006, I met him and him and his brothers were all about hoops. And I moved neighborhoods. So in this new neighborhood that I was in, I didn't have as many friends, you know, close to none. And so I would just do what they would do. They came from Boston. They were big time Celtics fans and big time just sports fans. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah just rubbing it in my face all the time. And I didn't understand the pride of that, you know, <laughs> sixth grade that Bostonians had for sports, the deep affinity they had. So um, I would uh, go up and down with them to the park, never ever take basketball seriously just because it wasn't – it didn't uh, – I wasn't good at it, first of all, and it wasn't that much fun. <laughs> You're not good at it. I, I'm still so, not good at it, so <laughs> it's all good. Um, so, yeah, this, this um, eighth grade, uh, I was 6'1", and I, I grew up in a neighborhood that is very close to this institution called Miami Senior High School, which is – the first high school in all of Miami, Florida. So it's uh, it's just a historic land figure. And then it is a basketball powerhouse. So it's been winning state championships since the 30s um, and, and, and late 20s. Um, so we've, uh, you know, just growing up in the area, you always heard about it, always, you know, uh, heard about the great players, went to some games when you were younger. And uh, it was finally my turn to be a part of that only by my stature, you know. Um, but as an eighth grader, ninth grader going in, I knew nothing about basketball aside from showing up and, you know, shooting it off the backboard and missing and, you know, playing, throwing up occasional horse shots, you know. Um, and then I had to crank up the gear and um, learn. Now, you got into the basketball, somewhat into the basketball scene in Miami. Talk about the basketball scene overall in the state of Florida? Uh, so Florida is mostly known as a football school, but uh, I would describe Florida as a state with a lot of great athletes. Um, the basketball scene in Florida is incredible. I've played against athletes that, you know, uh, if, you, if I told you some stories, you just wouldn't believe what happened. It just sound, it would sound made up. So some of these, uh, guys that I've played, whether they be in out-of-town tournaments, uh, out-of-state tournaments, or in the local uh, league, were magnificent players. And Miami yields a lot of players from islands, from the islands surrounding. So a lot of Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Central Americans, South, South Americans. Um, so the, the pool is almost infinite to that region. Now, who were uh, some of your influences or mentors growing up? Uh, as it relates to school, I gotta, I gotta uh, say my pop Jerry Ladson. Jerry Ladson, uh, met him in the ninth grade. I met him through a program called the Five Thousand Role Models, and this program uh, connects older men with younger men, and it's, it's kind of teach them how to maneuver through high school and how to, you know, get polished off uh, before get graduating. Uh, Jerry was someone uh, 
who I call Pop, you know, because we we've just become family. He he is my dad, you know, um, and he is connected with my dad and my mom and the rest of my family. He believed in me and and pushed me to do things that I didn't even know I can do. And he would always be in attendance to all my basketball games. Uh, he he pushed me to be the vice president of the Five Thousand Role Models. My junior and senior year and um he really wanted me to be the president but i, I was just like i'm not i don't i don't want to do that just now you know it's just too much but looking back i mean i think i think he he knew what he was talking about and then i gotta say uh coach chris which, who was my basketball coach who took me in trained me from that time uh in eighth grade when i transitioned from um low basketball IQ kind of player, didn't understand what effort was to a really competitive uh, defensive and offensive minded player. Uh, and then obviously, you know, mom and dad are, you know, uh, they- yeah, That they just goes some, without saying, man. Right, right. You know, we don't gotta, we don't gotta uh, talk too much on that. So I think it's safe to say basketball was your favorite sport growing up. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I came from Cuba, honestly, uh, soccer was my favorite sport. Um, and I kind of kind of just moved away from it. Um, honestly, my big brother told me, hey, you know, you might be too tall to play, which I know now isn't true, but I listened to him. Nah, it's ridiculous. Come on now. <laughs> well, yeah, he, he's only a couple of years older than me. And, you know, I, I, I very much so like to listen to my big brother. So I listened to him even back then. Um, but soccer was my favorite sport growing up, um, especially when I came from Cuba. And then transition basketball has been the overload and the you know the cornerstone to all my athletic uh, prowess. All right, we're gonna transition. So you graduate high school. Now you got a big decision where you're gonna go to college. So your first choice was to go to Morehouse College. Talk about your decision, how you ended up at Morehouse what you chose to study and why? Uh, Morehouse, for, for the listeners that don't know, is an incredible historic HBCU. HBCU stands for Historically Black College University. Martin Luther King went there, Samuel L. Jackson, and uh, numerous other, you know, great figures. It's an all-male uh, school, and it just, it's it's what, we call the Black Harvard. So it's it's a school full of intellects. Uh, Morehouse was almost a no-brainer, and that was a known fact for me when I went to visit during homecoming. When I went to visit during homecoming, I I saw something I'd never seen before, and I felt at home. I saw these brilliant people having fun and still getting their things done and being uh, prepared for whatever the future had in store for them. Uh, and that was really incredible for me. And I think one of the, one of the key things that stands out to me about Morehouse from my homecoming visit was seeing so many other uh, tall individuals that weren't participating in sports. That was really special to me because for a long time, sports was a vehicle for me. So sports being a vehicle for me, um, it was, I, I was almost blown away. I was like, wow, this person, exist beyond that you know um and that was incredible but graduating high school didn't immediate, immediately go to morehouse i had to work out some kinks i had to uh, get my citizenship 
and because I was still not a citizen of the United States. So this is something that my pop and I, you know, he guided me through. Uh, there's uh, Jerry Ladson, who was the 5,000 role model uh, mentor that I mentioned earlier. He um, moved hell and earth to uh, make sure that I had that uh, and I was ready to go uh, for the following fall after graduating. Maybe President Trump won't say this, but I'll say it. Thank God you're an American citizen. All right. I am thankful to be here. Anyways, so you went to Morehouse, Martin Luther King Jr., Samuel L. Jackson, Jordanville alone for a hot minute. What what made you decide to transfer to a LaSalle College? Well, like I mentioned, uh, Sports was a cornerstone for me at that uh, junction in my life. And my student athlete experience at Morehouse was incredible. And I mean, one of the most um, impactful experiences in my life, but it wasn't panning out the way my pop and I and my family were kind of imagining it. So at the end of the the year we we had to make a choice and it was extremely difficult because at that point i had been at the institution for a year and i had transitioned mentally from uh doing things more than just basketball and i loved the institution for its academics uh the brotherhood the school spirit um it, it was just incredible through and through but still sports ran king and um when we when we measured everything up it wasn't adding up to what we were aiming for uh when we started so we we made the decision to transfer um that looked like really quickly leaving the last day on campus driving down it's a 10-hour drive from atlanta to miami i drove down the whole time i was drinking coffee and i get home um and I'm really excited. It's uh, after a year, really strong semester. Um, but I'm, I'm still up. I don't want to go to sleep. I'm, I'm home. You know, in Miami, you know, while it's not always glitz and glamour, a lot of the time it is. And uh, May, May uh, after a college semester is definitely glitz and glamour. So I stayed up the whole time. I was happy to be home and see some of my old friends and former teammates. Um, and while I was up and in the mix, you know, pretty much up all day, I got a text from one of my former teammates saying, hey, there's a tryout uh, kind of happening at this high school. And I went to this high school for the tryout that I didn't really even want to go to. But that's where um, I saw or the assistant coach from the cell saw me amongst some other coaches. And they approached me and offered me, you know, an opportunity to come up to the cell that same day from, you know, nonstop that I, that I got home. And that was my first interaction with uh, LaSalle. You step onto the campus. You, mind you, you said you went to school in Atlanta. You're from Miami. Now you have to make this trip all the way up north to Newton, Massachusetts. <laughs> when you stepped onto the LaSalle campus, what were your first impressions? Be honest. The tape yeah. does not lie or the audio. <laughs> no, no. Um. I guess I, I had no idea really what I was getting myself into when I learned more about where I was at as time moved forward and what it uh, 
the the transformation that was required for me to continue to be myself and evolve. Um, but Newton was extremely different. I tell all my friends, and this is uh, no exaggeration. I literally am. You know, I went to the HBCU, like I mentioned, which is historically black, and that's in Atlanta, which is a predominantly black uh, city. Uh, in Miami, is predominantly Latino and black. I literally had zero interaction with Caucasian white Americans before coming to Newton. So, um, without exaggeration, uh, it was a drastic change uh, for sure. I think one of the one of the most challenging things was just being understood as I came with my uh, Miami and Atlanta slang and understanding folks for, you know, the New England humor and the jokes and the kind of, you know, different uh, <laughs> idioms that are used up here. Um, that was challenging. So a lot of, I, I felt like I was talking a different language, for sure. How long did it take for you to adjust not only to the new school, but a new geographic lo location, because let's face it, when the winter comes, or even I've lived here all my life, I ain't ready. I ain't ready to put on, put on my Timberlands or my uh, winter coat. Chris, I'm telling you, 2014, that winter, I think uh, the toughest New Englander will remember that. Uh, I think the toughest Penguin uh, would remember that uh, 2014 <laughs> uh, winter. That winter... I think was the coldest winter in 56 years in Massachusetts. It was uh, the most snow and blizzards uh, in that amount of years. And here I am with my Miami uh, zip up jacket, not ready, not ready yeah. at all. <laughs> um, so that, that was, that came and really took me out. I mean, I was shocked uh, in Miami, it's sunshine, clouds, and if it rains, we're not doing a thing because we're so spoiled and everything is nice and hot. So I was blown away when we uh, were having blizzards and still had practice. Um, I was like, I can't believe this. I, I thought, I for sure thought, uh, you know, coach was insane and uh, we were violating some protocol because this was all so foreign to me and I was so cold. I actually got really really sick so um it was it was hard but that set the president for uh the rest of the coming years every winter since then has been a breeze but it, I, I think it took me a year to answer your question to get really acclimated to where i was at as well as the weather and the people now talk about more about getting acclimated to the people what what sort of clubs what kind of things did you get involved with during your time at LaSalle? Well, during my time in LaSalle, one of the um, clubs I was a part of was the Barry Price Police Club that did a lot of work with uh, special needs uh, individuals. And that was a really awesome time. Uh, we also put on a really incredible event uh, uh, with Special Olympics where we hosted one of the really cool events that got uh, featured in D3 uh, Athletics Nationwide. Um, just for what we were able to do at LaSalle. We hosted a game with some of these special needs individuals who we spent a lot of time with and had a lot of fun with, uh, did multiple events with. We, we put on a basketball game and were reffing it up, had music going, had snacks, and 
that was a blast. I was also um, one of the big changes that was incredibly beneficial was uh, going to D3 from a Division two. Your time is a lot of the time is given back to you. So now I was a part of going to a lot of seminars, presentations. I was in as many of Dr. Jesse Toriak's presentations and talks as possible. And I was just getting a feel for campus and getting around and meeting not only students, but other faculty and staff. Now, what was your favorite spot on the LaSalle campus? Ooh. I'm sure it was the athletic center, right? No, no, no. To, no? <laughs> not the no. athletics are? Not, not, not when it's 7 o'clock and it's time for tip-off and lights go out? You know, like, that was really exciting. But I, like I mentioned, I, I had this transition uh, mentally from heavy sports to more academic side. And I loved the library. I spent so much time in the second floor of Brennan Library in the quiet section in one of those little pods ducked off there for hours. Um, that was my safe haven. That was like after practice, after the calf, um, you just go there and like plug away, really get to focus and disconnect. Um, because honestly, when you're an athlete, you're, or when you're involved with any uh, extracurricular activity, that means some of your study time is a little divided. And so, you know, with that, in place. Uh, I loved going to the library and being able to tap back into some of the materials we were discussing in class and, you know, getting the good grades that, you know, makes make all of our people proud. Now we fast forward. You get all those good grades you were talking about, but now it's graduation day and you were chosen or you volunteered yourself. Either way, you got to speak at the commencement. Talk about leading up to it how nervous were you uh well you talk about uh, the continued evol uh, continued evolution of competing this was definitely a different realm of competing but very very exciting and this this was a big deal for me because i'm the first in my family you know, i was we were born in cuba you know came to miami and this was a big deal so I saw this more as an opportunity than uh, of a nurse thing. And I felt really polished to do this because earlier in the year uh, or the graduate graduations in May, I gave a speech in October that I felt was a little more challenging just because it was a little more personal. Uh, but that speech really motivated me to say, hey, maybe I can uh, apply and maybe get selected to be the commencement speaker. That speech in October was just about my family's journey from Cuba to Miami. And that one was a little more nerve wracking for me just because it tugged on some of those emotional strings. Um, yeah. But after I was done with that one, I was like, man, I think I'm going to try to do this. And public speaking has been a, you know, a niche of mine since then. Um, and leading up to graduation, that graduation day, had I not invested in trying to, you know, potentially give that speech, my, my family would not have all been able to be in attendance because you may remember that 2017 graduation was the graduation where there was a big, big storm. And so the field where usually we would have unlimited amount of seats and everyone would be allowed to sit there and kind of, you know, enjoy this uh, momentous moment was cut down to two people, you know, per person to 
to be shared in the, you know, in the gymnasium, which was, would have been uh, not as compelling for me as having my whole family in attendance. Because I gave the speech, I was able to have all of my family members there. So I'm really, really thankful for that. What kind of feedback did you get from faculty, peers, even the higher ups at LaSalle? Did you get what kind of feedback did you get? I'm sure it was mostly positive. Yeah, I mean, uh, the feedback I think was uh, a representation of preparation. You know, so while I was prepared for my speech in October, I had this really incredible coach. Uh, who was a LaSalle alumni as well, who also was the commencement speaker. She prepped me for this speech in October. Her name was Sarah Roberts. She is incredible. I still talk to her often. She is a great friend of mine. Um, and then we move into the commencement speech. I had another incredible co uh, uh, coach, Erin Vicente. She is a professor of communications and she- really, yeah. yeah, shout out Professor Vicente. Yep. She, she's incredible. Um, she prepped me along perfectly. And um, then President Alexander gave me some incredible tips too. You know, he gives speeches regularly. So that was not a new topic for him. And, you know, once you combine all that with some experience and, you know, your own uh, kind of take on it, you, you, you're able to do, you know, your best. And I got some positive feedback. Uh, Professor Vicente told me, a compliment that I hold very near and dear to my heart because we're all very self-critical, you know, at the end of the day, whether we share it or not. Um, but she said that that was the best uh, commencement speech she ever heard delivered and she that I was the best commencement speaker uh, she ever worked with. So that was an incredible compliment to hear from her and it helped uh, defuse some of the criticism I was putting on myself, Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I listened to it recently, and if Professor Facente said what she said, she was definitely right then. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, yeah. I had to take it, I had to take it. President Alexander said uh, a couple of days after the speech I gave in October, um, hey, people are still talking about the, your speech so, um, a couple of days after, so that was pretty exciting to hear. Um, nonetheless, nerves were racing heart was pumping uh hands felt clammy but you get up there and you know it's game time uh, you felt like b rabbit and eight mile like palms are sweaty knees weak on the heavy like absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so i had to get get my uh, stomach in check and make sure there wasn't uh, mom spaghetti De on definitely no mom spaghetti on there <laughs> <laughs> well overall did that Delivering that speech at graduation, did that boost your confidence even further? Because it already sounded like you already had a lot of confidence, but did that boost your confidence even further? Absolutely, you know, absolutely. And for a competitor like me, uh, I'm kind of looking at it like, this was pretty good, you know, but you were supposed to do this in, in front of, uh, you know, like four times the amount of, of these people. So. You know, let, let's see what that looks like in the future with, uh, you know, public speaking continuing to be a, uh, something I hold in my back pocket. Uh, what that looks like as the crowd grows and as the nerves continue to remain the same. Um, but the confidence was definitely, Pete, there's definitely something I like to talk about. And 
it's just something that adorned the graduation moment for my family and I that much more. Um, and, you know, I mentioned my family a lot, but I got to say it, it was special too to represent the class of 2017 and have that opportunity because I felt so uh, connected to so many different people on so many different levels um, that, that I was really honored to be, to have been selected to represent all of us. So you did very well at LaSalle. Now let's talk about your time as a student athlete. Can you talk, compare your uh, student athlete experience? You, we already kind of went over Morehouse a little bit, but compare your experience at Morehouse and LaSalle as a student athlete. One of the biggest takeaways is, like I said, time at Morehouse there was a, a demand for excellence academically, and it was just the standard. Um, you have a school that, that breeds, you know, some of the most prestigious uh, men of color, uh, HBCU, and yet you're still a student athlete. So you're uh, a division two. I was a scholar athlete, and every practice, every optional workout, I was a part of, uh, whether it being six in the morning, uh, optional shoot arounds after, you know, everything. I was a part of everything. And you just have that demand on academics while having your scholarship kind of dangle in the balance too. You know? So you have to perform athletically and academically. Um, that was different for me in LaSalle, which I'm really thankful for because I came uh, as the student with such a drive for uh, learning, uh, such a curiosity and with a little more time because at division three, you're, you're not, it's not mandated that you're practicing as much. So I, again, I had a time to be a part of so many forums. I had a time, I had a, you know, LaSalle obviously has the connected learning philosophy where you have to do an internship before graduating. Uh, I was able to do five internships, you know, uh, yeah. before graduation and that's just, you know, has continued to polish and develop me as a, you know, professional. Um, so I'd say the biggest difference is time. Um, obviously, going from Division Two to uh, from Division Two to Division Three, the bodies change. So I go from having a, you know, seven foot center, uh, six nine power forward, six ten, another six ten power forward. We got, you know, six 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 five shooting guards like myself. Um, point guard is six three to, you know, sizes, I'm, I'm probably one of the taller guys on the team at 6'5". So I go from playing shooting guard, you know, sometimes small forward to center uh, and power forward, which is, uh, I wish I, I would have had uh, more conversations about that because it was such a drastic change for me. Um, and, and I played my, my high school team, you know, uh, although it was high school, like I mentioned, it was a powerhouse. And we had, uh, our center was 6'9". We had 6'8", 6'7". Uh, our point guard was 6'2". So I was playing shooting guard and small forward in high school as well. So coming to LaSalle was a hard uh, transition position-wise, uh, for sure. Um, and the st stylistically, it was different too because we focused a lot on shooting versus a lot of uh, drive hitting the gaps and uh, finishing of the basket with a mix of shooting which was what we did more at Morehouse. 
I can definitely tell the emphasis was on shooting. I just asked my roommate from sophomore year, Scott Arsenal, if he's listening to this. Nice shooting sophomore year. Kind of wish you uh, played the second half of your junior year, but that's neither here nor there. That's right. We we won't dive too much into that. Yeah, Scott is an incredible, an incredible athlete and an incredible shooter as well. He um, really it was really really nice to see him. You know, just as a transfer and being a little older, uh, seeing him develop uh, coming in as a young freshman. You know, just leaving high school to the senior he was and all he was able to contribute to the program. So, shout out to Scott and shout out to my other teammates. Especially a big shout out to my teammate Maurice Hill, incredible athlete, incredible shoot, and an incredible roommate. Incredible roommate. I wouldn't have been able to do any of the things I did without uh, coming back to the dorm and chopping it up with him. Now, talk about your own personal evolution from when you first started out at LaSalle to the end of LaSalle. You already talked about it as a student, but dive in more to the athlete side of it yes um you know I'm someone who my mind has to be in it uh to really flourish and I think again to tie back into that and connect it to athletics Dr. Drew my academic advisor was someone who I, I talk to her every day still today you know no exaggeration and she really helped me kind of navigate some of the uh, changes I was having externally and which helped me then perform athletically. Um, but then, as we know, LaSalle is uh, shooter focused. I got to give a humongous shout out to my girlfriend, Katie. She is the woman's all time leading scorer, uh, an incredible athlete, sharp shooter, a, a sharp, sharp, very sharp shooter. Uh, she really, you know, sat me down and taught me how to shoot, you know her along with her dad and uh, her mom. You know, we focused on free throws and just the fundamentals of shooting. They really helped me uh, prepare for success athletically at LaSalle. Um, And from there, after that, I hit the, you know, I hit the ground running. Um, Although it took me a little bit, I hit the ground running after that. Now, gotta ask you, out of your three years at LaSalle, and we'll include the one year at Morehouse. Most enjoyable year playing basketball in college and why? You know, uh, there a lot of great years, uh, but in college, undeniably my senior year um, was just second to none. Uh, just to be able to compete at such a high level, have such incredible teammates, be the captain of our team, uh, help facilitate some of my philosophies onto the team and, you know, move kind of to my temple and, you know, just have a seamless connection between each other, uh, second to none. Uh, my senior year consisted of fun things like my parents uh, being able to fly up during senior night uh, and see me play for the first time live. Uh, Many games, my girlfriend didn't miss one. Uh, she drove to all of them, even, uh, even uh, what was it, Vermont, way up, up by Canada. Oh, no- Norwich? Uh, yeah, yeah. Norwich. Oh, man, that drive was the worst. <laughs> that drive was brutal. Um, driving back after big wins, uh, I think we won 
12 or 13 games in a row, you know, at one point. So we were just uh, pretty much stomping on the GNAC, um, listening to music on the way back, you know, having these things that you kind of see on documentaries that come out years later. Um, we, we had all these experiences and, you know, practices were incredibly competitive. Um, had uh, obviously one of my teammates was Armin who, you know, put on a show uh, both his years at LaSalle, but his senior year was a special one. He, uh, he averaged close to 28 points, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 29, uh, but it was special to see him do, you know, all the incredible things he did along with, you know, so many others like John Powell did a, a tremendous job. He was uh, third in the GMAC and rebounding and, just a big, skilled basketball player. Um, but down the line, it was it was a lot of talent, a lot of camaraderie, a lot of laughs mixed with a lot of fun. You know, it was a lot of fun. And practices were always competitive. Now talk about the team building. So you guys every year, or at least for, for all the sports teams, you, we all have to do community service in some way, shape, or form. For men's basketball, you guys, what was it, Greater Boston Food Bank? Talk about your experience going down there and how how you felt afterwards each time. I mean, anytime you get an opportunity to help others, uh, it really means the world to me because I know just growing up in Miami, you know, folks that volunteered, programs that were, you know, stipend and special, uh, you know, curated to different communities were some of the reasons I was able to participate in some incredible things that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to. So the uh, sorting food and creating close to like maybe 900 meals in a, in a couple hours and sorting to like uh, 3,000 pounds of, you know, food for families in need and who were less fortunate it was incredible it was an incredible thing to do as as a team you know we were all on the same page this was a time where you didn't have to compete against each other this was a time where basketball wasn't involved and i think it also the the time that we did it which was late december early january maybe like january 1st or 2nd um was really important because at the time we're doing two-a-day practices we're on campus alone uh, it's freezing cold, and we're kind of, you know, for, for lack of better words, kind of sick of each other just because we're competing up and down every day, and and our teams were pretty good. So we were like, man, uh, we need a break, and it was just good to the break, uh, having the, the break incorporating helping others and generating food for the, those less fortunate. That's awesome. Anyways, we got to transition to something maybe a little less serious. Yep. So you jumped on the hot volleyball team for a hot minute your senior year. Talk about that experience, just jumping right in. Basketball's over. I was like, oh, I'll just do volleyball, right? Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> in high school, I was a four-sport athlete. So I played basketball. I ran cross-country. I played football and I played volleyball. Um, I, I wish I played volleyball at LaSalle my other years. Jumping on after, you know, the senior year run uh, when we lost in the championship with the men's basketball team, 
It was incredibly fun uh, just to be a part of, again, another very good team and have incredible teammates like Jeff, Tristan, Jordan. I mean, those guys welcomed me right along. And I, I would practice with them here and there occasionally throughout my years at LaSalle. Um, so they welcomed me right along. The coach was incredible. Um, and we had a blast. Uh, it, it may have it may not have been as uh, spontaneous as uh, anyone from the outside looking in may have thought. Um, I was a volleyball player for four years. Volleyball is something I play uh, with some of my best friends in Miami. When I go home, we play beach, we play indoors. So uh, it was really fun to go and kind of pivot um, competition from basketball to volleyball. But I've always been a multiple sport athlete. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Did you ever get to play the beach volleyball near the uh, how, whatever house it was where the beach volleyball court was? Or uh, I think one summer I stayed for an internship and uh, I may have linked up with Jeff and a couple of the guys and we played together one time. Uh, but I, I was always uh, nervous about how cold the sand would be and just uh, it. I just had this um, conflict internally. You know, I had this dissonance where I'm on sand, but it's really cold. I've seen snow here. I just can't do it. It's not. It's, it's just not, not Miami sand. That's all. Yeah, it's not beach, you know. <laughs> now, this may be a little bit of a sore subject, but even though you made it to the GNAC final for men's basketball and volleyball, does it still feel kind of sore that you were a part of a losing team in the finals? Uh, to answer your question, I, I, how I remember it, we won both of those. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to me, we won both of those. Uh, you may not have won the game, but you won off the court, so that's all that matters, right? No, no. I, I, I'm someone who you know, one of my favorite things is competing and, and I love to compete at a high level and with the same amount of intensity that I have, uh, the love of intensity within competition that I have, I also uh, have this mindset where I like to turn the page. Had we won both of those games, either basketball or volleyball, I was ready to turn the page until, until whatever was next. It was never... Um, it was never more than that moment for me. Uh, I really honestly didn't cry. I, um, and that's a big uh, uh, a feat for me because I'm, I'm an emotional Afro-Latino. You could catch me crying to just about anything uh, at any time. I can be inspired and cry. I can be sad and cry. I can be happy and cry. So um, I didn't cry after both of those. I felt I gave my all to the whole process of it from not only the season, but from the off season, from the March of the year before. I was training, dieting, uh, sculpting my body to be prepared to be in those moments. So uh, after it was finished, I, I didn't feel a sense of loss. You know, I just turned the page and saw and looked for whatever else was next to compete at. Now your playing career is over. You transitioned over to the coaching side for LaSalle men's basketball. Now discuss what your how your perspective changed from when you're a player 
to now as a coach, how does, how did your perspective change? How do you view the game? Uh, I see a lot of the players more so now than ever as X's and O's. As a player, I was huge on film, so I understand why that's been such a fluid transition for me. But now more than ever, I can really see plays offensively and defensively developing. Um, not in slow motion yet, but I, I, I don't see players if I don't choose to. I see X's and O's if I choose to. So I'll be watching a Celtic game or a Heat game, and I can, I'm paying attention to what play is developing and how uh, it is developing and what uh, were the ensuing plays that led up to um, and, and after. So uh, coaching definitely gives, uh, gives you this, this vision to forecast and kind of predict a little more than a player. But as a player, you're in the mix and you're, you see things also that coaches don't see. Yeah, as a player, you're the one executing the plays where the coaches are the one that's designing it. Correct. Anyway, what would you, how would you describe your uh, leader? Not Maybe not leadership style. I guess leadership style, but your coaching style, especially as an assistant. So Yeah, uh, as an assistant, you know, I, I, I'll describe my, my style as a mix of some of the most influential people in my life. And it's their relationship based. I know this is an athletic uh, podcast, but I spend a lot of time talking about other things like academics and life. And some of the most impactful coaches and people in my life have poured into things outside of athletics. So while, while I was a coach, I for sure focused and dissected basketball details, angles, inches, uh, cuts, and different areas to be successful for every single player that I coached. However, I, I always wanted my relationships to be based on uh, real life connections because uh, the person playing is more than just a person playing. They have other things going on and other things that are intersecting and crossing that impact their, that may impact their performance. Uh, uh, so I always wanted to be akin to what was going on, was going on and also how we can help facilitate and polish off some of those areas as well. Um, I'm very tough, very competitive, uh, try to teach toughness and uh, perseverance and conditioning too is something that was always an emphasis of mine. So I'd always push the players mentally. Um, I wouldn't make them run, but I would just, talk them through some of the thinkings that may be helpful to them when they're fatigued or exhausted or going through something. Now, do you see yourself becoming a head coach in the future? Is that something that's crossed your mind at all? Absolutely. I can see myself leading um, a group of second grade AAU players um, because coaching is, is a lot of fun. It was definitely time consuming. Uh, you got to break down film at the college level. You got to recruit players. You got to make sure eligibility um, is intact. And there's so many moving pieces that <clears throat> you're responsible for. And while, while they're all incredible and geared towards things I love, I think, um, like I mentioned a little earlier, 
my my cherry on the top has always been being in it and playing it more so than talking about it or even watching it. Um, and so I would like to give in a capacity where it's more so like of a month or two or a tournament, you know, but I don't, I, I don't know yet if, um, if the right opportunity presents itself, uh, I definitely would consider it because I know I have a basketball mind, but, um, Basketball is demands a lot at the coaching front and has to be the right situation. Hear that. Thank you for listening to part one of my conversation with Jordanville alone. I hope you enjoyed part one because part two will drop on Wednesday. Stay tuned for more of Newton's laws of sports.